Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Infected is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash infected. Chapter 46 Howdy, Neighbor, Part 2 Perry stared at the door, not sure he'd actually heard it, hoping he hadn't. Then came three more knocks. Columbo, 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 Columbo! Shut up! Perry hissed through clenched teeth, the stress wiring his jaws tight. It's not Columbo. Hey in there! The voice called. A male voice. He recognized the distinctively deep baritone of Al Turner, who lived in the apartment directly above Perry's. Would you stop your screaming? You're driving me nuts! Al Turner was Mr. Blue Collar, one of those guys who, despite having passed the 30-year mark, still measured his manhood by how much alcohol he could consume on a night out with the boys. A car mechanic or something like that. Don't bother ignoring me. I know you're there. He was pissed. Perry heard the anger in his voice. Are you okay? What's going on in there? Nothing, Perry called back through the closed, locked, and chained door. I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was having an argument on the phone. Perry felt relief with that top-of-the-head lie. That would work. That made sense. That was logical. Al yelled back through the door. Yeah, I've heard nothing but yelling from down here and it's starting to get on my nerves, you know? Perry had been screaming his head off for one reason or another in his battles against the triangles, and he never thought about how much noise he was making. Al was probably at wit's end from all the commotion. Kill him. Sorry, Al. I'll keep it down, I promise. Woman problems, you know? You can open the door, man. I don't have a gun or anything. Al's voice sounded calmer. Uh, I'm buck naked, Al. Just get out of the shower. Thanks for stopping by. I'll keep it down. Perry heard footsteps shuffle down the hallway. That had been as rude as can be, Perry knew, but he wasn't about to open the door and let Al see the blood-o-rama inside the apartment. They'd said kill him again and again. Perry hadn't heard them the first few times. Or maybe he hadn't wanted to hear them. Why the hell would I kill him? He knows. He's a threat. Kill him. Kill him. He's not a threat. Perry heard his voice rise again before he caught himself in mid-sentence, making threat come out several decibels lower than the rest of his words. He's my neighbor. He lives upstairs. High pitch. Fuzzy noise. Perry assumed they were accessing the term upstairs, or perhaps the building's layout. He was growing adept at knowing what they searched for. Their retrieval process seemed to make images flash into his mind as well. Bits and pieces of what they wanted. He lives right above us, fucker. He knows kill him. He knows kill him. Kill Shut up, Perry said, calmly, quietly, but with as much authority as he could muster. He might be good as dead, but he wasn't going to take Al with him. You can just fuck off. How's that? I'm not going to kill him. Forget it and stop asking. It's not going to happen. The only one I'm thinking of killing is myself, and you four along with me. So shut up. The lumpy sound came again. Low and long. Perry laughed inwardly. It was like they were lovers. The triangles searched for the right words to avoid an argument. Don't kill us or kill yourself, fucker. Don't we're trying to stop Columbo. Trying to stop Columbo. Trying to stop the soldiers. Had the right people at Triangle Mobile Home Sales gotten the message? Maybe he should have called 911 a long time ago. Maybe they could have gotten the things out when it still mattered. Because it was too late now. Perry felt tired and drained. 
It really was like an argument with a lover. Whenever he had a knockdown, drag-out fight with a girlfriend, anger and other emotions flew around his head like dead leaves in an October storm. Such arguments exhausted him. He didn't need to sleep after sex. He needed to sleep after fighting. This felt exactly the same. It was only about 6.30 p.m., but it was time to turn in. He entered the bedroom, but didn't want to sleep there. The sheets remained spotted and streaked with blood. He was in there only long enough to grab a clean, gray, long-sleeved Detroit Lions t-shirt. Then he hopped to the bathroom, pounded four Tylenol, and headed to the couch. He let himself fall into the inviting cushions. He was out within seconds. Chapter 47. Margaret Sets Up Shop Margaret called the shots. They commandeered a med-surge floor at the University of Michigan Medical Center. Med-surge is fancy-pants hospital slang for medical-slash-surgical. Without Murray's approval, she'd ordered not just one, but two portable BSL-4 labs installed in the wing. That SARS was a nasty fucker and you couldn't be too careful, right? The hospital administration put up a fight demanding to know the risks, the health status of the community, and a bunch of other nicey-nice shit that Margaret simply did not have time to deal with. She had an executive order. She had the deputy director of the CIA in her back pocket. These people were going to give her what she wanted, and that was that. They had to be ready. Two cases in Ann Arbor, and they'd been so damn close to catching a live one. If they got another chance she might get her shot to see just what the hell these triangles were. Agent Otto came through the door, carrying a five-foot-long cardboard tube. Margaret's pulse jumped up a notch. She wasn't sure if it was from seeing Otto, the portfolio, or both. Did you get the printout, Clarence? He flashed his wide, easy smile. No problem, Doc. I think I made some Kinko's employees happy. I'm guessing it's not every day they get sworn to secrecy at midnight and use their large color printer for national security. She helped him pull the rolled up printouts from the tube and they started taping the final artistic works of Get Win up on the wall. Chapter 48, Programming. Perry would never know how close he came to getting real help. The Norris Insight STA-7800, the machine that scanned all the calls, picked up the word triangle from his call to triangle mobile home sales, but did not find any of the context words that would alert the CIA's watcher. Had Perry changed a few words, possibly even just one word, if he'd said, I had seven to start with, but I killed three, instead of, I had seven to start with, but I got three, Help would have already been on the way. But Perry didn't use the right words. The system didn't forward the call to the watcher. Still alone in his fight for survival, Perry slept. He slept like the dead. The triangles did not. The subconscious mind is a powerful device, repeating things over and over to yourself, visualizing a success again and again, virtually programs your brain to go out and make those images a reality. The opposite also holds true. If you're convinced you're a loser, 
that you always seem to lose your job, that you can't save money, that you can't lose weight. You tell yourself these things over and over, and guess what? They come true as well. The subconscious mind takes the things it hears over and over and makes them reality. The subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between success and failure. The subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what helps you and what hurts you. The subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between good and evil. All night long, the triangles repeated the phrase in Perry's head. More than a hundred times. Definitely thousands. Perhaps tens of thousands or even a hundred thousand. Over and over. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. It was a short phrase, and they didn't even really have to say it. All they had to do was send it to his auditory nerve, a high-speed data dump, into Perry's programmable subconscious. There were others close by, others of their kind. Sometimes they heard voices, like their own, but not coming from within the host's body. Some hosts were far away. One was very, very close. They knew nothing of where they came from or what they were, but the stronger they became, the more they knew why they were here. They were here to build. And soon the triangles would join with those of the nearby host, become one group, one tribe, then move to join even more of their kind. The glorious construction would begin. But first, they had to keep the host alive, keep him out of danger, keep him away from the soldiers. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Mental and physical exhaustion held Perry in a deep, deep sleep. He was stone-cold out for just under 14 hours. The triangles incessantly repeated the phrase until the Tylenol kicked in. They caught a solid buzz and drifted off with visions of the glorious construction that would soon become a reality. Chapter 49 reach out and touch someone. Bill Miller stared at the TV. Columbo was on the Sunday morning mystery movie, but he wasn't really watching. His fingers drummed against the remote control. What the hell was Perry doing? Didn't answer his phone. Didn't answer instant messages. Didn't answer his door. Bill hadn't gone this long without talking to Perry since they'd first roomed together in college. Something was wrong. Really wrong. Like, Oh, fuck, my parachute won't open. Wrong. Bill had called a dozen times so far, leaving a message every time, but never getting a response. He'd watched his instant messenger client, seeing if Perry would log on. Nothing. He'd even left a friggin' note, like some psycho girl. Perry was obviously home, and he wanted to be left alone. But man, this was Sunday. Fucking football Sunday. Their tradition dated back almost a decade, through tertiary friends that came and went, through seven girlfriends, five on Bill's side, two on Perry's, the only game that Bill had a chance of winning against the super athlete. Well, screw this. Perry didn't get to hide in that tiny apartment, not when football Sunday was on. Bill needed to see him, needed to know everything was all right. Perry was capable of such violent outbursts. One incident might put him in jail. Bill had to reach him, just to make sure his friend wasn't about to fuck up his life yet again. Bill picked up the phone and called his best friend one more time.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 50. Cooking Up a Storm. Somebody knocking at the door. Somebody ringing the bell. He recognized the voice. Paul McCartney. Must be some Beatles tune, from when they were all whacked out on drugs and spouting that peace and love shit. It was that fucking door again. Still rotting and spongy soft. Although this time, Perry wasn't walking down the dark hall. He was standing still. Yet the door kept getting closer. The door was coming for him. A hundred tiny tentacles jutted from the door's bottom, like the arms of a black anemone, wiggling, pulling, always moving forward. The door came toward him, slowly but steadily, the spongy greenwood hungry for a meal. Perry turned and ran, but at the other end of the hall stood another green door, this one also moving closer, this one also hungry. Nowhere to go. One door, or the other, or both. No matter what he did, what waited behind those doors would take him. In the dream, Perry started to scream. Perry awoke, his eyelids flickering against the early morning light that sifted harshly through his window. He'd fallen asleep sitting up, head resting on the back of the couch. The position had made his neck stiff and tight. He rubbed at it with his good arm, trying to loosen up the muscles. He scraped his tongue against the roof of his mouth in an automatic effort to relieve the pasty feeling that comes from bad sleep. It wouldn't go away until he could get some water. His cell phone rang loudly. Barely awake, he answered it before he could think of the consequences. 
Hello? Hello, hello, son of a bitch. Barry, you're home. Where the hell have you been, man? I've been here. Perry blinked his eyes against the rude sunlight. He slowly pushed his lethargic body upright. His voice still carried the grogginess of the morning, the sound of words that came out automatically, without the guidance of an attentive brain. Been in my apartment. We know we've been here, too. You've been gone for days! The voice on the other end rang with anxiety and excitement. We thought you'd skip town or something. You've been home all this time? It was almost like a split personality, a sprint between intelligence and stupidity. Half of his mind raced in a dead panic, rushing to wrest control from the other half, the I-just-woke-up-and-I'm-damn-stupid half that was currently talking on the phone, oblivious to the disastrous situation rapidly surging to the boiling over point. Perry, are you there? Perry gave his head a little shake, still trying to clear the cobwebs. Who is this? Who is who? What are you talking about? It's Bill, stupid. You know, Bill, your best friend. Maybe you heard of me. The intelligent, panicked part of Perry's mind slammed into control with the force of a missile hitting a passenger jet. He flung the phone away as if it were a tarantula. It landed on the floor, only a few feet from him. Hello? The word came faint, thin, and tinny from the receiver. Who is here? Who are you talking to? Who is here? Like an abused dog cowering at the sound of its master's angry call, Perry flinched with each word that trickled from the phone. Hello? Perry? He reached down and flipped the phone shut. Who is there? Who is there? Who, who, who is it, Columbo? Perry's breath still came in shallow, quiet bursts. Like a kid, caught doing something very wrong, his mind raced for an excuse, a lie, anything that would keep him out of trouble. Who is there? Who is there? Who is there? No one is here. Columbo is here, isn't he? No. Perry fought back panic, tried to keep his voice low. He didn't want another visit from Big Al upstairs. No one is here. It was just the telephone. It's nothing to worry about. High-pitched noise ripped through his thoughts as the triangles rooted around in his brain. Perry sat very, very still, wondering if a blast of angry shouting would hammer the inside of his head. Low-pitched noise followed as the four horsemen added new words and phrases to their growing vocabulary. Telephone so you can talk to ones who aren't here right. Perry worked his way through the triangle sentence. They put right at the end of the sentence. They were asking a question. Yeah. That's right. So we can talk to ones that aren't here. He remained frozen on the couch like a hunted rabbit, waiting for the pain to sear through his head, a weed whacker trimming up his brain. We do that without telephones. Talk to triangles. Uh, are you talking to some of them now? Perry carefully led the conversation away from the telephone call, still wary of the mind screaming, although he sensed no anxious emotions from the triangles. It seemed that they understood the concept of a phone, and realized that no one was in the room. There was a bit of high-pitched fuzzy noise before the horseman's response. Calling one of them now, we are talking to them. Are they nearby? High pitch sounded in his head. How far is nearby? You're familiar with the concept of distance? He felt them looking up the word distance. Unbidden, images flashed through his mind. Maps, a hundred-yard dash, third-grade story problems. Yes, how far is nearby? Show us. He'd have to start them out on inches and feet. Nearby was a relative concept, and he wasn't sure how he'd explain it. He hopped towards the junk drawer to get a ruler. As he moved, the faint wisps of a foul smell drifted across his nose, and then it was gone. He sniffed again, but caught no further traces of the scent. He brushed aside a roll of duct tape and pulled the ruler from the drawer. He steeled himself. What he was about to do, educate them, made it even more real. 
even more hopeless. It was like admitting that they were just as normal as the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day or Saturday morning cartoons. He slid up the sleeve on his left arm. There sat the triangle, bright blue under his skin. But the eye slits were still closed. Show us. I can't. His eyes aren't open yet. Some can see. Not all. Not yet. So which one of you can see? My back? My... my balls? No, your ass. Show us. No. Show us. Look, no fucking way. Show us. The low-level mind scream hit him, causing more fear than pain. What he had to do sickened him, but he had no choice. He dropped his pants and bent over, gripping the counter edge for support. He held the ruler behind him at ass level, parallel to his butt cheeks, directly in front of the triangle buried in his posterior. Do you see this? Perry felt embarrassed, like a teenager who's been pantsed in front of the girls or someone caught masturbating. He felt his face flush red. He was standing there in his kitchen, pants about his knees, bent over like some silky boy waiting for a bullfag to take it to him. He'd certainly rather have some 300-pound ex-convict sticking it up his ass than deal with the situation he had now. Even AIDS would be better than going out this way. Yes, what is it? He felt loud, high-pitched noise. Excitement rolled into his thoughts, an overflow emotion from the triangles. He'd had all the triangles covered up from the first moment they could see. The triangle on his shoulder had enjoyed only a few moments of vision before Perry fucked up its whole day. Aside from an eyeful of fork, this ass-eye view was really the first thing they'd seen. It's called a ruler. It measures distances. Perry closed his eyes and laid his head down on the counter. It felt cool against his warm face. You see the lines and numbers? He felt them accessing new words. Yes, lines and numbers, yes. Their excitement level soared, leaking into his own mind. Perry fought it down. Anger crept into his thoughts. He wasn't going to let their emotions overtake him. Okay, the big lines represent inches. That's a unit of measurement. The numbers count how many inches there are. There's 12 inches on this ruler. 12 inches is called a foot, which is a larger unit of measurement. You understand? The fuzzy noise in his head was a speedy blur. Then it was gone. Yes, 12 inches in a foot. Okay, now there's 12 inches in a foot. And if you have three feet... Three feet is a yard. They were at it again, checking his brain like the Perry Public Library. It was a redefinition of being used, and there was nothing Perry could do about it. 100 yards in a football field. His anger continued to grow, his temper slowly mushrooming like a nuclear pile approaching critical mass. 5,280 feet in a mile. Perry shut his eyes tight and tried to control the emotions, but there were too many. Excitement. Frustration. Humiliation from being bent over the counter with his ass exposed like some prison bitch waiting to be taken, and rage at having his brain and memories fingered through like a Compton's encyclopedia. His father's voice came to him, unbidden. This time, it sounded real and vibrant. Not a memory, but something angry and new. Look at yourself, son. Bent over like some Nancy boy. You're a goddamn disgrace. I ought to teach you some manhood, boy. You gonna let him push you around like that? You gonna let him? Hum, boy? You gonna let him push you around like that? A narrow-eyed snarl slipped across Perry's face. He reached his left hand over to the stove and cranked the front right burner knob to high. He stood and pulled up his pants. Their disappointment overflowed into him, 
as pure and powerful as the excitement had been. Let us see. Let us see. You want to see? See the fucking shit stains in my underwear. Let us see. Let us see the ruler. Shut the fuck up. You've seen enough. Part of Perry hoped they'd continue. He wanted to hurt them, teach them some manners. Another part of him, the part that had been all of him until a week ago, the part that was fading fast, struggled to bring his temper under control. He was split right down the middle, and he didn't give a rat fuck which part came out on top. Let us see, see, see! Perry flinched as the triangle volume started to rise. A mind scream fast approached. The part of Perry that hoped for a peaceful resolution shrank away into nothingness. And in that moment, he was his father's son once again. You want to see? Pain was coming, Perry knew. Truckloads of it. A clearance sale on agony. You gotta learn not to talk to me that way. I'll tell you what. I'll show you how I cook your dinner. Perry hopped up onto the counter. He sat with his ass on the countertop, legs dangling over the edge, right ass cheek almost touching the edge of the electric stove, back resting against the cupboards that held his mismatched plates. He watched the burner slowly change from black to a soft, glowing orange. An orphaned, dried-out grain of rice sat on the burner. Perry watched it closely. The grain was at first white, then slowly turned black. Let us see. The grain of rice began to burn, sending a tendril of smoke toward the ceiling. Let us see now. The little stream thickened as the metal continued to heat, smoke rising in a tiny column, then dissipating into nothingness. Let us see, we're warning you. It was so black against the hot metal. There was the briefest flicker of an orange flame, and then nothing. The smoke quickly petered out, leaving a small, black husk on the glowing burner. Warning you, warning you, see, see, see. You want to see? Perry rolled onto his left cheek and hooked his right thumb under his waistband. They'd warned him. Nobody warns a Dossie of anything. It was Perry's house, after all, and anyone under his roof was damn well going to live by his rules. Yes, we want to see now, 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 and we're not going to tell you again. Perry slid over, so his right cheek hovered directly above the burner. He instantly felt the rising, searing heat. He pulled his pants down, exposing the right cheek to the burner only inches away. Blistering heat cascaded over his naked skin. Do you see now, fuckers? He felt the overflow excitement again, coursing through his body, intense and stronger than ever. What is it? Is it dinner? Are we going to eat? What is it? You don't know what it is? Perry heard the malice in his own voice, the hatred and the anger that had once again taken over his body and thrown reason and common sense out some mental 20th story window to splatter on the concrete sidewalk below. He heard his father's voice within his own. Well, if you don't know what it is, maybe you better take a closer look. Perry slammed his right cheek down on the burner and immediately heard the answering sizzle. The scorching pain stabbed into his body, but it was his pain and he welcomed it with the wide-eyed smile of a madman. His nervous system railed against the searing heat as his flesh bubbled and blistered and blackened. No, 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 no. The stench of his own burning flesh filled the room. The unbearable agony ripped through his every fiber. Later on, He'd congratulate himself on his incredible willpower. He managed to keep his ass pressed firmly against the burner for almost four 
seconds, fighting against his body's primal directive to get away from the pain. No, 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 no. The mind screen hammered into his head and broke his superhuman concentration. Perry leaped off the stove and landed on his bad leg, which promptly gave way. He fell in a heap on the blood-stained linoleum floor. No, 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 no! He didn't have time to regret his actions. He didn't even have time to tell himself how stupid it was. He felt the scorching pain on his ass and the strong smell of cooked human flesh. And was there another smell in there? And the jackhammer screaming that ripped into his mind and stirred his brains like a swizzle stick. No, 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 no! Despite the pain that had him whimpering like a little girl. Despite tears streaming down his face to mix with the dried blood on the linoleum floor. Despite feeling every injury flare back to agonizing life. He knew he'd killed another one. He held that satisfaction tight to his soul as he passed out. You have been listening to Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.